Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 20. We'll be discussing the Farscape episode, The Hidden Memory. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hey everyone, let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of The Hidden Memory. John, now captured by Scorpius, is forced into the Aurora Chair, a torture device that painfully pulls out memories and displays them. Jelena and Aaron work to save him, leading to a dangerous showdown between Crace, Scorpius, and Moya's crew. Meanwhile, Moya gives birth and Chiana and Rigel are forced to play the midwife. The Hidden Memory is part two of two that picks up off the cliffhanger we were left with in Nerve. This episode has a straight-up rescue mission where it's all about giving John enough time to survive until his friends can rescue him. And narratively, what we have here is John and Aaron with parallel roles. So in Nerve, John doesn't hesitate to infiltrate the Gamic base in order to save Aaron. And in The Hidden Memory, Aaron doesn't hesitate to infiltrate the base in order to save John. So in both cases, even though the rest of the crew wants to go and help, they can't because they can't pass for sedation. And I just love that we have these kind of bookends to these two episodes of John and Aaron be the main people to go rescue each other. And I think it shows also with Aaron just how much she has come to care for John. Yeah, and you can definitely see because it's not just that she comes to rescue him, it's that she comes to rescue him when she should be resting. And not just a little bit of rest, but they're like... (laughs) Well, usually you're in bed for like two weeks after you have this skin graft. And she's like up within hours. Like, okay, I've got to go do this. Yeah. She's up and out the door almost immediately as soon as she knows that she's needed. What I also like about it is she's protective of the others too. Dargo and Zan both come down with her. And I'm going to play a short clip of them leaving Moya. And just pay attention to how Aaron behaves here with respect to the others. Don't try and stop me, Dargo. I won't. I'm strong enough to go alone. No, you're not. I'm coming with you. If you can be an idiot, I can be an idiot. Well, a warrior may be of some use to me down there, but Zan, why don't you stay here? John might need me. If he gets damaged by the chair, then I can help him. I'm hoping Crichton will be strong enough to fight the chair. And what I love about that is with Zan especially, she is, she's like, you don't have to come, Zan. This is super dangerous. I don't want you to get hurt. That's the subtext there. And it's just so far from where Aaron was at the beginning of the season where she didn't care if these people lived or died. You know, she was in it to save herself as much as anything. And here she is wanting to protect them from the dangers of going down to this base. Even Dargo, who is a fighter and a warrior with her. And I just, I just love Dargo's line of like, if you can be an idiot, I can be an idiot. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, it's so good. Well, and also it is her trying to protect them in terms of being like, well, I can maybe use Dargo, but you should stay here. And it echoes back, I think, to the conversation that they all had about Aaron in the last episode. Because in the last episode, it was John trying to convince them all that Aaron was worth saving and they didn't really need that much convincing. And here, Aaron isn't trying to convince them that John is worth saving. She is literally just kind of like, you guys don't have to do this. I think he's worth saving. I'm going to go do this. And they're already convinced. Yeah, I think it really does have to do with the fact that they were willing to go save Aaron in the last episode because they're already in that place of our family is damaged. We need to help our family. Yeah. And John really needs the help. At the beginning of the episode, meanwhile, what's happening down the gamut base is he is coming back in from another session in the in the Aurora chair and he is just shredded. He is like laid out on the floor of his cell 
exhausted. I get the feeling that he was just dropped there by the guards and he hasn't moved since they dropped him because he is in such pain and agony and has been going through this horrific experience. And so we start to see him get to know Stark, who is trying to break out of the prison cell. He has a little magnetic, what is it, magnetic something or other that's supposed to try the codes on the door. Yeah, it's like a magnetic key, but this is a door that has um, like a multiple digit code. Right. And Stark can only try one code at a time. Right. <laughs> and so he's like, John literally initially is like, oh, hey, you know, you're trying to get out. And then he realizes that Stark getting out is such false hope. Right. Because, because any kind of combination that has more than like four or five digits, you're in the hundreds and thousands of combinations that are possible. And if you can only do one at a time and you don't have it and you're doing it manually one at a time, it's not like you have a computer processing it. It's going to take a really, 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 really long time. And, and John being as messed up as he is laughs in Stark's face about it because, you know, they're in this awful, awful situation. And, and all John can do is laugh about it in this really pathetic kind of teary like I'm so hurt I have to laugh mm -hmm. kind of thing well and and that's actually the progress that their relationship is in because when it initially starts yeah John is like laid out and he's just he's not even moving he's just mumbling to himself danger will Robinson beware of the chair you know and he he realizes that he's dying that he's dead essentially he's dead man walking and that the only the only kind of defense he has is that he can protect Jelena mm -hmm. because he's that's the memory. Scorpius thinks he's keeping a memory from him about wormholes, but the reality is he's just keeping Jelena's face from them because right. he knows that as soon as he thinks about Jelena and the chair sees Jelena, Jelena is dead. Yeah. And he might not love her anymore, but he does care about her. And so when he first sees Stark, there's kind of this interesting moment because he doesn't trust anybody at this point, and he really suspects that Stark is a plant, because who else would act the way that Stark does? Yeah, I'm gonna play that clip right now. You like the chair? Love the chair, love the chair, love the chair. He's behind on me, Stark. Scorpy. Since you're in here to spy on me? Scorpy, no, I'm no spy for Scorpy. What you got there? Nothing, nothing. What is that? Stop. If you don't stop, I'm gonna have to kill you. Give it a couple days. I think Scorpion and Peacekeeper Barbie will do it for you. You're not crazy. Are you Stark? Yeah. But if they think I am, they don't bother me so much. So we have here both John's suspicion and his hopelessness of where he is right now. He thinks he's going to be dead in two days. Like, he, he doesn't know how he's going to survive this situation. He knows Jelena's trying to help him. He's trying to protect her. But he's living with Stark, who is acting crazy. He's going through this horrendous experience. And he is at the end of uh, end of his rope, essentially. And then, you know, he has this insight. Stark is acting more crazy than he actually is. Yeah, and we've talked in the past, mostly in a human reaction, how John develops this ability to use insanity and to use over-the-top dramatics as a defense mechanism, as a way of getting what he wants, as 
as a really efficient way of cutting through BS. And I think he sees in Stark kind of that kindredness of him realizing that Stark is playing a part. Yeah. That even though the chair has ruined his mind, there's some spark of sanity still in there. And it creates in him a vision that, okay, if Stark isn't as crazy as I thought he was, maybe there is this sliver of hope for me after all. Yeah, yeah. And there's also the kindred spirit between the two of them when he realizes that Stark is also hiding something from Scorpius. And that's one of the reasons he's still there. He's realizing they're going through a really shared experience. Yeah, exactly. And then after that moment where he's initially like super suspicious and then he trusts Stark and then he realizes that Stark is hiding more than one thing from, from Scorpius because he's also hiding the existence of the possible escape Like of the escape magnet thing. Yeah, the key. Yeah, the escape key. So Stark is hiding these two memories from Scorpius. And also, I don't know, I think that I think that this is moment is so John though, because it is about using insanity as an offensive weapon and a defensive weapon. And also because I think that anybody else would not have trusted Stark as quickly, mm-hmm. no matter what. And I think it also speaks to John's ability to read others. Mm. He's one of the characters that's really good at, at reading other characters and touching into the emotions and what's kind of in play behind them. Like, he sees through Aaron's bullshit. He connects with other people and other creatures on other planets that we've seen, like, in IET and some of the others. So I think that ability of his, that skill he has, is also in play here, where he's able to reach out and connect and make a connection with the only other person that's showing him kindness right now. Because Scorpy, Scorpy is not showing him any kindness whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And is in fact getting even more and more incensed that he can't break through and get this hidden memory. So while John's in the chair, Scorpius just keeps saying, okay, you need, he's resisting, we gotta get through this resistance, we're gonna do whatever it takes, we're gonna keep going and keep going and keep going. And we have to watch John go through this and he's like, more invasive memories. I think we see more about Crayson here. And meanwhile, Jelena is trying to give him as much time as he can and trying to arrange things so that John is tortured less. Since she is in love with him, she doesn't want him hurt. And one of the things mm-hmm. she does is she gets in there while they're calibrating the chair again and switches one of the things and does tech wizardry. We're just going to call it tech wizardry because mm-hmm. it's much, so much easier. Anyway, she does a thing and then she tells John through the patch that she has into the security that it's okay. Think about me. It'll trigger something that's going to help you out. Well, but she doesn't even say it's going to trigger something that's going to help no. you out. Like this is why... The subtext. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really do like Jelena here because John is broken at this point. Yeah. Like John is broken. He's not even trying to hide anything about the wormholes which Scorpius wants. Yeah. And he's sitting there and he's kind of rocking and he's and she can see him, but he can't look at the camera because then they'll see that his mouth is not matching whatever audio they're getting. Essentially, he's just like, just get them off my back for a little bit. I just need he just wants a break. And so she comes up with this idea and she does tech wizardry. And I think that, okay, there's a couple things that are really good in the scene where she puts the magic tech wizardry (laughs) flaw, which is the first she goes in and she's not even assigned, but the other techs think that she is so good that they just accept her presence (laughs) without question. Yeah. Like she goes in and she's like, oh, hey, I thought I'd help out. And they're like, oh, great. You're so much better at this than we are. Like they're total Jelena fangirls. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so she tells him to think about her. And I think that that's like a really awful moment for him because he's literally like, that is the one thing I am trying to keep from them. Yeah, definitely. And so eventually he does have to trust her though because he is shattered at this point. And so he thinks about her and Jelena 
super bright. <laughs> she put in a fake memory of somebody that has her haircut but is not her. And it occurs on Crace's ship and it's a fake memory where Crace comes in and John gives him wormhole data and Crace is like, my parents were poor farmers. I was conscripted. Now I'm going to rise up through the ranks because you've given me this, this wormhole data. Crace is in the room when this happens and completely denies it. And then, of course, the audience, we know that it's not true. But Scorpius doesn't know it's not true. And he's like, well, it might not be true. That's fine. But you know how we can find out? We're going to put you in the chair, Crace. <laughs> yes. And it's, but it's even better than that because he's like, yeah, we're going to put you in the chair. And Crace, of course, is incensed because he's right. a captain. He's above that, blah, blah, blah. Plus, he doesn't want to be tortured. Yeah, plus he doesn't want to be tortured. But this goes back to Scorpius being CIA, NSA, and essentially this being a black ops facility where Scorpius has ultimate control. He can do whatever he wants. Yes. And it also shows off right here his silver-tongued ability to convince people to act in his interest, which I think is almost even scarier than his carte blanche because he is convincing two of Crace's people to arrest Crace. Why don't we play that quote? I commend your loyalty. It must be difficult to maintain for an officer like Crace. An officer on the edge and out of control. Talk to me, Scorpius, not to them. I have unconditional authority on a gamut base. Captain Crace will go to the chair. To stop that, you will have to kill me. And all my men. Are you prepared to do that? Do not listen to him. That is an order. Do what you know in your hearts is the right thing. Put Grace in the chair. Oh! I know! Scorpy! What I love about that is he says, do it in your hearts you know to be the right thing. And I think it's a really interesting because that's such an emotional appeal to a moral compass of some sort. We know peacekeepers have a morality and they have a, a way of looking at the universe and what is good and right and everything. And it's framed like that you are going to be doing something noble by putting Crace into the chair because I told you to. And yet it's not something noble at all. He's telling them, be disloyal. You're going to work for me now. I'm stealing you away. But he's framing it in a way that they can accept mm -hmm. and save face, you know, because he is so terrifying that because he has the carte blanche, like you were mentioning, that they are going to do it because otherwise he's going to put his entire army on them. And it's just, I just love it that he's just twisting it around to give the soldiers a way to make it a good decision for them. Well, more than that, he's playing off Crace's descent mm. because Crace, we've seen, went from powerful commander of a fleet to this man who is almost out of uniform, hair out of order, does not look like a peacekeeper anymore. Like when Aaron was talking to the ghost commandos, one of the kind of like mean things she said to them, and it was like, you know, it was like flirty <laughs> with the rock. Yeah. But she was literally like, oh yeah, I saw one of you once. He was unkempt, his uniform was out of order, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So clearly this is actually something that means something yeah. to peacekeepers. And I think here we see that Crace's physical descent into mad, into not madness, but into desperation. Mm -hmm. Peacekeepers respect authority and they respect power and Scorpius is giving these peacekeepers who have been forced to obey the orders of somebody who is not powerful and somebody who is not coherent and somebody who is the opposite of the peacekeeper mm -hmm. ideal 
They've been forced to obey his orders, and now Scorpius is giving them the option of being peacekeepers again. He's yeah. essentially saying it must have been awful to be forced to, you know, obey the orders of this crazy person. If you come over to my side, mm-hmm. you will be a peacekeeper again versus yeah. whatever the heck Crace <laughs> is making you do. Versus working for Crace, who you know is doing things he shouldn't be doing. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's, it's really good. And then the other thing I kind of want to point out is this episode more than any other, this and, the, and, and Nerf. I was faced with the realization that Crace is actually not that scary of a villain. And it's because I think because he is the first villain that you don't really realize he only appears... As a villain for like three episodes, Something maybe like four. On screen at least, the premiere, that old black magic. Mm-hmm. And then he's kind of a boogeyman, right? Yeah, he's kind of a boogeyman, but he's not even like really that scary of a boogeyman. Because what's he going to yeah. do? He's going to recapture them and kill Crichton. Like, mm-hmm. okay, that's, you know, that is like a threat that keeps them moving. Yeah. But Scorpius here is frightening. Yeah. Because Scorpius isn't just in it for like kill and recapture. Scorpius is in it for torture you, gut all your memories, kill your friends, capture your friends. You know, like, Scorpius is just more frightening. Yeah, and the kill and capture your friends isn't even just to kill and capture them. It's in order to coerce you to give him more information. I mean, it's all about the end product of the wormhole technology that he's researching on the gamut base that he wants to do bad things to other people. I mean, he's not even considering it bad things. It's the means to an end. And, like, the end is completely justifying what he is doing right here because it is what he considers the most efficient way to get all the information out. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And your note about Crace being a villain, I think that's one thing that people watching for the first time or as we were watching for the first time in season one, you know, Crace is a little bit of a ridiculous villain. He's like the the cartoon cutout that you have. Okay, we have a science fiction show. We're going to have escaped prisoners. We need someone to chase them. Who can we have chase them? And it's kind of like, here's this stereotype that gets slapped on and it's Crace. And he's chewing the scenery and he's doing all these other things that are just kind of ridiculous. And we have that old black magic, which is a completely ridiculous plot that's sole purpose is to make Crace keep chasing them. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little bit of, of the construction going on. And I think you have a nerve and the hidden memory with the entrance of Scorpius, a way that really salvages Crace's character because it's a turning point for him as well with his going into the Aurora chair. He is no longer the focus of the villain. And I think it was really smart on the part of the writers to create Scorpius as the new true villain of the show because it takes the weight off this caricature of a villain that Crace was at the beginning of season one and throughout season one that his character just cannot carry. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's because way back in the beginning, I mentioned that as we learn more about peacekeepers, we understand Aaron more and Crace less. And I and I think that that's really what's coming to the fore here is that Crace when you think about all we've learned about peacekeepers, doesn't make sense. Having a brother, for instance. Yeah, having a brother and caring about that brother. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or caring enough to ruin your military career right. over that brother. And so, yeah, Scorpius is just a really nice counterweight to Grace because now we're like, okay, now we've got a villain we can focus on that legit seems scary. And also, one of the, one of the reasons I noticed that was because Lonnie Tupu shows up in this episode as a guest star. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure he was regular cast as pilot, 
But I think that, like, because he's showing up as Crace now, yeah. they put him in also as a yeah. guest star. I think it's the difference between doing the voice acting and doing the physical acting. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess anyway. Yeah. But so it is, it's it's nice. And then we get also some really nice closure from the whole Crace plotline this episode. Yeah. Because so Scorpius gets Crace into the chair. The chair, the chair, my chair, my chair. <laughs> Stark. And essentially tears him apart. Yeah. He goes back through the you know, the history with his father and, and Talvo when he was a child. So that part was true from the, the fake memory that Jelena had implanted in John's run of, in the chair. And Scorpius just wants to know what Crace knows. He doesn't care about Crace as a person. He doesn't care about anything. All he cares about is what he knows in relation to John's knowledge of the wormholes. And is that systematic coldness that he's going to turn on his own people that makes him, makes Scorpius really scary. Mm-hmm. Well, and also I think that that's what another reason Jelena is so smart. Because she put just enough hints of truth into the fake memory that Scorpius is going to continue to pursue it. Yeah. Because if, for example, she'd been like, oh, well, my parents were peacekeepers and I want to rise to power in order to <laughs> please them. But no, she because she knew Crace from when she served on his ship. And so she's just smart enough to make it true. that So Scorpius will continue to dig and give John just that much more time. Yeah. And he needs that time because, you know, he's being tortured and torn apart and Aaron has to come down and rescue him. So Aaron and Dargo and Zan, how Jelena got Chiana out in the previous episode, she basically created a gap in the sensors. And so they follow that same path back to the surface of the base because the base is underground. And so Zan and Dargo stay on the surface to set up their escape. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. While Aaron is also wearing the Ghost Commando outfit and looks super hot, I gotta say. (laughs) She goes down into the base and infiltrates it as a Peacekeeper Commando. And one of the cool things I liked about this was that Aaron finally gets to become a Commando. You Mm -hmm. know, we learned early, what, Exodus from Genesis, that she applied to be a Commando to hold the whole thing with Lorac about her wanting to be a Commando and he wanted her to be a Commando on his team because he saw her in action and he thought she was great. And here she actually gets to play that role. She is on a secret mission. It's the commando level mission, even though she is like a commando playing a commando. It's kind of like this nested thing in my head. (laughs) Anyway, like she gets called sir by some of the grunts on the base as she goes through. So I I really like that she kind of gets to get to that place. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned Exodus from Genesis because there's a neat moment when she's going from the surface and she's taking an access shaft down to the bottom, where her hands are shaking. And it reminded me a lot of Exodus from Genesis because of that moment where she went to to pilot and it was terrifying to her that her hands were shaking. And here, her hands are shaking again because, again, she just got over this major surgery, major illness, etc., etc. And instead of treating that as like, I'm really afraid of this, oh no, what am I going to do? And going into a panic spiral, kind of like she did in Exodus from Genesis, she just looks at her hands that are shaking and she's like, stop. Yeah. Yeah. And she just, it's so good. It's so like Aaron growing as a character because this is a time when she can't rely on anybody else. She's partially relying on Zan and Dargo, but that doesn't escape. Yeah. In the base, she knows she only has herself. Angelina. And she has to focus and be on top of her game in this situation. And the... 
the quote we had from the earlier episode is like, my hand's shaking, I can't hold a gun. And that's mm-hmm. her, or can't hold a weapon. And that's what is going through her mind when she's like, okay, I have to focus and do this. And I have to p- play the part and carry a weapon and get John out of there. Mm-hmm. So she she meets up with Jelena and uh, basically Jelena helps her out with where John is located and how to get to it. And then we have her actually breaking John out of the prison cell. And there's two things I really love about this, and I'm going to play a little quote about it. And the first is that Aaron is using subterfuge to get into the cell, and it's such a John plan to do that. She's talking her way through it as opposed to just taking the gun, putting a guy at gunpoint, and making him open the cell. So I'm going to play the, the little clip of that. Look, I'm not going to say this again. There is nothing in there. I'm just telling you what I picked up from Grace's carrier. detected an unauthorized magnetic pulse coming from somewhere on this. There line. is no signal coming from in there. Mm-hmm. Look, I'll prove it to you. See, nothing, absolutely nothing. What the frill is that? Obviously nothing. Get out of it, Stark! You were right. I'll move them to another cell. They don't need to be moved. Why not? Because they're coming with me. Who is she? That is the Radiant Heron son. How many peacekeepers do you know on this base? <laughs> yeah, I love it. The Radiant Heron soon. How many peacekeepers do you know on this base? Yeah, John knows a lot of peacekeepers. And by that, I mean two. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, hey, that's a lot more than Stark knows. <laughs> it's, it's true. And it, apparently it's enough to get them rescued also. What I also love about that is watching Aaron's face when she's talking with the peacekeeper captain or commander or whatever who, is, who she's forcing to check the cell. Because she's just got this such bitch please look on her face. I'm just like, just do what I tell you. And right, you're being an idiot. And it's just, oh, it's just such great acting. And I love it. I love it so much. And she gets John out. I love in the middle where he's like, see, nothing. And then it, it like goes off and he's like, what the frill is that? And she's like, obviously nothing. <laughs> yeah. I love her. I love oh, her man. so much. And John calling her the Radiant Aaron son. I love that it's a little bit of a pun because her last name is spelled S-U-N. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the sun, even though it's pronounced slightly differently. And it's also like a testament to how glad he is to see her, that she mm-hmm. is here coming for him. And he, there's his hope again. Yeah. Well, and earlier when Aaron ran into Jelena, she gave Jelena just this brilliant smile. She's so happy and grateful to see Jelena. And this kind of goes back to my feelings about Jelena and Aaron, where even though Jelena has at this point kind of like created this entire romance between her and John kind of in her head, which is what everybody does. I mean, yeah. who doesn't come back from your first date and you're like, and then we're going to go to Hawaii and then we're going to get married. <laughs> you know, like it's that sort of yeah. thing. I think that Jelena has had the time to kind of spin out this fairy tale in her head. Yeah. But I still think that Aaron and Jelena fundamentally have a much more interesting relationship to me. Mm-hmm. And so... They get out and they're all kind of running and the second in command wakes up. And so now everybody is hunting for the escaped prisoners. They end up hiding in the floor and Jelena says, okay, well, we're not going to be able to get off without a senior, without a senior officer's ident chip. 
And so Aaron goes off to get that because obviously Jelena and or John couldn't do that. Yeah, John's in no shape to go bagging a peacekeeper, as he says, or bagging a senior officer. (laughs) (laughs) And it ends up leading to... I mean, these two episodes have had like a lot of really good, emotional, deserved beats. And we talked about one of the payoff in Aaron and Darga's friendship. And we talked about it leading to the downfall of Crace and the, you know, the rise of Scorpius as a villain. But the officer that Aaron finds is Crace. And she finds him strapped into the chair. And this leads to the strongest emotional beat that the show has had so far. I would even second that and say it's not just for this for the show, but it ends up being the climax of the season in a lot of ways because because the conflict here is between Aaron and Crace. Yeah, let's play the quote and then we can talk about it a little more. <laughs> I am irreversibly contaminated. Now do you know who I am? Aaron. Does this contaminate you, Grace? As a peacekeeper, you took a blood oath to obey your commanding officer till death. Yes. I am still your commanding officer. But I am no longer a peacekeeper. You are a peacekeeper for life. On the oath you took. Your oath means nothing to me. You made sure of that. You destroyed everything. I lost everything because of you. Aaron, Do you know what I learned while I was away from you? Everything I lost isn't worth a damn. And I don't want to go back to your path. I order you! You order me! You will never order me again. I will track you down and kill you, Officer Sun. On that, I give you my vow. You know what I give you, Grace? Your life. So good. But we should clarify. When she says, I give you your life, it's not in the typical sense where she's like, I give you your life, like I'm not going to kill you. She then turns on the Aurora chair, randomly presses buttons, and makes him relive every moment of his life as pure torture. Yeah, yeah. She is like, here's everything you've ever done that you must now watch. And the other thing I want to point out is that he does not recognize her at first when she starts speaking to him. She's not in his line of sight because he's strapped in the chair. And when she starts talking, says, hey, Captain Crace, fancy meeting you here. Not really. I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) But he does not recognize her until she steps around in front of him. And that's how little he thought of her, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, she was an annoyance when she spoke up for Crichton, so he punished her, kicked her out. Later on, she was just a tool for getting closer to Crichton. That's with the PK beacon that they found until the blood runs clear. She was an afterthought to his vendetta against Crichton. And here, she doesn't let him forget that it was her life, as much as anything, that he ruined. And I just, I just love that. And it's this confrontation because... She is the one now in the position of power over him. He does try and tell her that she has to follow his orders and all those things. And he's trying to count on her loyalty to being a peacekeeper. And her utter rejection of everything peacekeeper in this scene is so beautiful and painfully beautiful. Because we, as the audience, have gone through this journey of loss with her. We haven't understood it the same way, but she has made it so clear. And through all the various episodes where it's come up, it's these different stages of grief and mourning and moving away and moving beyond being a peacekeeper. And here's the culmination of that moment. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so incredibly powerful when she says... 
everything I had before doesn't mean a damn. And her voice is breaking on that phrase, too, because it's such an emotional weight for her to be able to finally vocalize that. Oh, exactly. I've talked before about how I think that in season one, John doesn't really have like a really good character arc in the typical sense, because narratively, his whole thing is like, I need to go home. And like maybe accepting life in the uncharted territories, like that's also part of his plot. But it isn't it isn't as strong as Aaron's plot. Like Aaron's plot just gets you on this gut level yeah. of where her entire life has been ruined. And she is going through her life trying to pick up the pieces. And we've been going through that real sense of mourning and sense of her building something else. Like her friendship with Dargo is her building something else out of the ashes of what she had. So her being able to confront the person that ruined her life. Because at this point she realizes it wasn't John that ruined her life. (laughs) It was Grace. So her having that confrontation with him is so well deserved and it's such a good moment. It's, it's great. <laughs> I think that's, that's why it feels like the climax of the season in a lot of ways. Because her, her arc has been so strong that this is the moment that just stands out as, as being like where the season has been headed all year. To this confrontation between these two people mm-hmm. who used to, to work together and now are on completely different sides of it. Mm-hmm. So not only, though, does she get to confront Crace, who is much more of her nemesis than John's. Let's put it like that. Mm-hmm. But there's also the moment where she realizes that being a peacekeeper isn't worth a damn. And that's, and that's her wording is kind of that while being a peacekeeper used to be how she defined herself, she's kind of been able to at this point see that the organization itself doesn't define her anymore and maybe isn't worth her time I guess the analogy I would think of is it's like her universe has been expanded like she's no longer inside this closed universe Mm -hmm. of the peacekeepers and the command carrier where she was born and where she fought from and where she didn't leave her entire existence except to do peacekeeper missions and now she has seen other planets she has seen other creatures she has she has grown to love other and care about maybe not love she would completely deny that at this stage but she has grown to care about all these other people of all these other races who've had all these different experiences and she's learned to look from at things from their perspective and she's gotten this whole different perspective on the entire universe and i think once that barrier was broken even throughout her mourning process you know she couldn't go back after that it's just great i love aaron <laughs> Ah, it's so good. I love Aaron so much. So while Aaron is is confronting Crace, Jelena is confronting John under the floor where they're still hiding. And Jelena wants to know if John loves her because he he wants her to come with them on Moya. She wants to know that her future is with him. And this is really kind of heartbreaking little scene where where she just wants an answer, a determine the relationship kind of conversation, which I completely condone in real life. If you're in a relationship or you want to be, definitely have this conversation. And I'm glad that she's trying to have it, though while they're running away from peacekeepers might not be the best timing. When else is it going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't answer her. Like she wants, she's trying to get him to give her a straight answer on it, and he he doesn't answer, which is an answer in and of itself that no, he doesn't feel the same way that she does. He's no longer in love with her. Or he doesn't love her the way she wants to be loved at this point. He's really worried about Aaron. And that's the subtext is that he's in love with Aaron. The scene I wanted to play, though, was the following conversation where Jelena confronts Aaron about it. Yeah, because John, 
they have this conversation and he keeps being like, can we talk about this later when we're on Moya? And then he like, and then Aaron shows up and he's like, okay, great, let's go. And Julian's yeah, like, kind of a guy reaction, actually. <laughs> it's super a guy reaction. Like, let's talk about this later. And I don't know, Jelena, yeah, like, I, I, I agree with you that, that this is a conversation that they should have, even if it's awkward timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here is her conversation with Aaron a- afterwards, which goes a little bit farther. Come on. Do you want to be with Crichton? I'm sorry? He won't answer my question, will you? Selena, whatever the two of you have been discussing, it's none of my business. Yes, it is! He asked me to go with him. I cannot do that if if he loves you. Selena, you have to come with us. If you don't come, they will kill you. I'll be okay. Selena, you saved my life. And you know peacekeepers, they will come and they will find you. I can take care of myself. You take care of John. What I love about that is that they're kind of almost having two conversations. Aaron is brushing her off too, focusing on the big picture because Aaron is in full commando mode right now. And she's like, we got to get out of here. We got to survive. And then we can have this conversation. Whereas for Jelena, who doesn't, I think, fully appreciate because she hasn't gotten to her head that they're going to kill her too yet. That whole, you know, I can take care of myself. I can still be this the spy in the inside. This is the most important thing, though, is to know whether or not she has a place with the crew and with John. And I think it's as much about belonging as anything else, because the reason she would be going would be to go for John. She doesn't know very many of the other people. She's interacted with them, but they don't like her. You know, it's it's not the same sort of thing. She's being asked to give up her home and her life and her everything, all the stuff that came up in PK Tech Girl. And she has to know that she has a place. And also, I mean, she's in love with John. She wants to know if it's worth it in the long term for that because she doesn't want her heart to get broken. Mm -hmm. And I think she suspects it will. And she's not wrong. I think, though, also it echoes the conversation that she and Aaron had at the end of PK Tech Girl, where Aaron was trying to get Jelena to make the smarter decision than Aaron had made. And here the exact same thing is happening where Aaron looks at it and she knows exactly what happens because it happened to her. They'll come for you. They will find you. They will kill you. That's what happened to Aaron. And so she's looking at Jelena trying to be like, be smarter. They're going to come for you. They're going to find you. They're going to kill you. And Jelena just isn't ready to hear that because for Jelena, this whole thing has been this epic Romeo and Juliet thing. For the rest of them, it's been a rescue mission. (laughs) Right, right. Star-crossed species versus get the hell out of there. Yeah. And so, I don't know, you you just got to feel bad for Jelena because you feel so bad for her. Yeah. Well, she built up this fantasy, number one, and then also, she's ruined her career over this, even if she doesn't yeah. quite realize it yet. Yeah. But I think it also speaks to to the influence John has in passing on a lot of people's lives. Mm. Because they met once. They had a great afternoon together trying to survive the Shang attack in PK Tech Girl, if you want to call that a great date. But it made a lasting impression on her, you know? Like, they clicked. They had this instant attraction, and and she's trying to get some sort of closure from that, whether that means moving forward or giving it up. That's so central to who she has been for these last several months that that is what's become so important to her and her entire existence, in a a way, Mm -hmm. more than just her actual survival. Yeah. So Jelena runs off because she she doesn't realize yet that her minutes are numbered and the rest of them using Crace's ident chip escape to the surface where Zan and Dargo have created a really good bottleneck and a really good ambush and I want to point out that even though Zan came theoretically for medical help 
as soon as they get to the surface and they're looking at the explosives, she starts opening them up and like doing things. And Aaron's like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm just making them more powerful. Yeah. Better living through chemistry than making better bombs. I love that note for her, too. She is immediately on board with killing as many peacekeepers as possible. Well, and also it goes back to her her youth as like a renegade, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm sure she learned lots of skills back then. But yeah, she and Dargo have a, a nice little moment up there. Their main scene of the episode is Zan commenting on his Qualta blade and he gives her a little history of the Qualta blade. But also at the end, there's this, you know, is using this great battle and my great grandfather passed it on. and He died in that battle and stuff like that. And oh, by the way, you want me to get you more rocks? I got you covered with a Qualta blade. It'll cut you more rocks. (laughs) It's a really nice little humorous thing. And the other note I want about Dargo, I wanted to say, is he's the one who's guiding the setting up of the ambush. Zan's taking care of the bombs, but he's saying, okay, they're going to come through here. And Zan's like, yeah, they're going to come through here. So they go through this whole tactical analysis of this kind of, you know, it looks like a bombed out warren of old buildings and stuff of like how their escape is going to go. And I think that's really cool. And it's, it's a little bit of a character note for Dargo in that, yeah, he used to be in the military. He used to be good at it. And again, going back to his plans, you know, was it a good plan? If it, How's it compared to cutting off his pinky finger? This turns out to be a pretty good escape plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really does. And it works. It, it works exactly as planned, where they come out at the exact place that they predicted they would. And they manage to get everybody off the planet. So Scorpius leads all the troops up and they have this big, you know, blowout fight and Scorpius almost gets to John and then Jelena shows up. Yeah. And Scorpius is essentially like, well, I've got you, John. I don't care about the other prisoners. Yeah. So he has a, he has a weapon to John's head. And Jelena shows up because I think she's, she has realized, I think she saw the writing on the wall finally that, you know, she, that they would figure out it was her. Yeah. And I think also at the end, she mentions that she couldn't leave him. I mean, that's how powerful her love for John was. Like, that was part of her decision. And so John is like, I would rather die than go back with Scorpius. So she tell, he tells Jelena to shoot, even if it means him getting killed. Jelena hesitates. And that's when everything goes to hell. Scorpius shoots Jelena in the stomach. John jerks away, whether in shock or noise or whatever. He manages to get away. Their cover comes back. I think it's Dargo or somebody comes back to shoot at the Scorpius and the peacekeepers. Another explosion goes off. It's all chaos. But the big end point here is they get away with Jelena, who is hurt and mortally wounded, in fact. And they get back to Moya. And then you have the deep heartbreaking scene of the episode where... Jelena's dying and John's sitting with her watching her die and trying to tell her she'll be okay and they both know that he's lying about it and um, Stark comes in to help at that point because one of the things that Stark can do and what we learn after one of John's torture sessions is that he is of a race called the Bannock slave race and he has mental capacity skills whatever where he can cloud thoughts so Scorpius can't take his memories the way he can from John and he has his face mask And what's underneath it is this light, and this light can give memory, and it can give peace. And so that's what he offers to Jelena here. And here's her final scene with Stark and John. May I give you this? It's a place I once saw. Been carrying it with me for a very long time. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. 
And we should point out that that memory that Stark gave to Jelena, that was the memory that he was holding back from Scorpius. And so there's a couple of things. I'm like, John, stop being a dick. Just tell her that you like, <laughs> she's clearly dying and John won't even give her the fiction of like, oh, I love you too. Cause she's all before this, she's all like, I love you, John. And he's like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to walk away now. And, but he does at least say, yeah, I could have loved yeah. you. You know, there is that could have, which doesn't make it better, but it's that's what's so bittersweet about it. It's still kind of like, I'm like, ugh, John, she's clearly dying. Just tell her what he wants to hear. <laughs> tell her that you love her. <laughs> no appreciation for fine tragedies. So then John tells her he could have loved her, and then she asks for a kiss, and he kisses her, and she dies. And then the episode ends, and it's, it's very so sad. So sad. God, poor Jelena. So here's a question. Jelena is a love interest that dies. Mm -hmm. How do you think her death acts narratively? Because one of the things we see in a lot of TV shows is a woman being killed in order to further the plot of the male protagonist. And I would almost argue that this isn't the case here. Mm -hmm. She gets a full arc. It's a tragic arc, but she's not killed off just to give John pain. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't think that's her only function here. Yes <clears throat> and no. I think that... I think that in PK Tech Girl, her function was less about John and more about Aaron. Mm -hmm. And her narrative function was really to provide a peacekeeper that was the polar opposite of Aaron. Yes. In that sense. And also to give Aaron, you know, pain <laughs> over <laughs> losing peacekeeperness. Yet in this, in these two episodes, Jelena's main function has been to help John. Do you know what I mean? She yeah. literally has... No other function in these two episodes other than to help John and provide the deus ex machina that, like, gets him things. Do you know what I mean? That's what I mean. That's why I don't think it's as much of a fridging, because she was integral to the plot of the episodes, where her, her function wasn't to die. Her function was, as you just said, to actually help him escape and yeah. make sure he stayed alive. I, I, just, I guess I'm wondering wh where she falls in the fridging discussion. Was Jelena fridged? I don't know. I, because I do have a really hard time. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. The reason it's called fridging is because there was a comic arc where a character's, uh, like a su some superhero, you know, maybe friends of the podcast, you guys can tell us who. <laughs> I'm not going to look it up right now. But so a superhero, his main nemesis, killed his girlfriend, chopped her up into pieces, and put her in the fridge. So when this guy gets home and opened up his fridge, his dead girlfriend was in the fridge. That's why it's called fridging, okay? Mm -hmm. And then now we use it for, like, the death of a lot of women that is exclusively to provide pain to the main character. And then also, like, it also has to do with, like, rape. Like, a lot of times when yeah. a woman's rape <laughs> doesn't end up being about her, it ends up being about, about her boyfriend, husband, fiancés, et pain. Et cetera, et cetera, yeah. I think... I think that here, Jelena's death has less to do with giving John pain than the fact that they didn't 
really have a place for her on the show. Right, and they needed to clear her out as a rival for Aaron. Yeah, no, nah, I, I wouldn't even argue that, though. Not, I don't like, think rival, to- not like a rival in terms of the character sense, but as in they didn't want to create a love triangle situation on Moya by having her join the crew. No, I mean, and I knew that's what you meant, okay. but... So clearly at this point, John is not into her. It would be a one-sided triangle. It would be the girl that has a crush on John while John is into Aaron and Aaron is into John. And I don't even think it's that. I think it's just that just like in Back and Back and Back to the Future where they killed off the black hole weaponry because they were like, well, we can't just have this laying around. You know, like we can't just have the species that has black hole weaponry. I think fundamentally they're like, well, where could Jelena go? The only place they could have her would be to stay on the ship or be taken back by the peacekeepers and then be tortured and maybe killed by them, at which point she would have been fridged. Do you know what I mean? Like, that would have been a fridging. Okay. And I think that maybe they just didn't have the room for her because they just took on Chiana as, like, a crew crew member slash cast. And I'm sure they just didn't have money and or plot. Like, this isn't yet Buffy season eight, where you have, like, (laughs) eight billion characters and you're like, I don't know who the main character is anymore. This is still, like, season one. And so they have, like, five, six? Six now. Yeah, so they have six main cast members. And I think they just weren't willing to add another one. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that, too. I just wanted to... Bring it up. Put the fridging... Bring bring up because of the fridging question. I mean, I feel like any time a woman dies on screen these days, it is worth examining some of the reasons why that happens. You know what I mean? Just because the percentage of women who die on screen is so much higher. Mm -hmm. And I've just gone through a season three of the hundreds. So I'm a little bit sensitive to the topic. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good perspective on it. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like if somebody wants to come and argue to us that it is a fridging, I would, I could definitely be talked into seeing it as a fridging, but I mean, I think it's, I think it more had to do with, you know, from the, from the Doyleist perspective, I think it just had to do with the fact that narratively there wasn't a lot of other places they could go with her. Yes. Agreed. So while all that death and destruction was happening, <laughs> we do have a little bit of comic relief in this episode and it comes from Chiana and Rigel who are now the suddenly the responsible adults or really is Chiana is the responsible <laughs> adult who is left with Moya who is giving birth <laughs> And Pilot, who doesn't know what's going on. I mean, one of the first scenes with them is them looking at blueprints to figure out how this whole Leviathan birth is going to happen. <laughs> they, like, don't know what's um, going on. Well, no one does. <laughs> Even Pilot's like, uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Completely clueless. I'm gonna, I want to play the quote between the two of them. Because it's when they realize that Moya is giving birth. But they're just kind of like, oh, well, you know, she'll know what to do. And then Rigel kind of starts panicking. <laughs> This thing over with. I want to be still. Right, You've got to stay calm during the birth. I am calm. I've, I've conceived hundreds of progeny. Mm. And those are only the official ones with my wife. Oh, then you should know something about this. Oh, you should be able to help us. I was never present at the birth. Not one. Well, of course not. I think this is a trifle different, don't you? My progeny were tiny. Tiny and handsome. Like their father. <laughs> tiny and handsome I god the delivery of that line is just so funny I just love Rigel oh, oh Rigel's hilarious <laughs> so this whole episode essentially they're trying to figure out what's going on and they it ends up that Moya gives birth pretty easily except her offspring is a lot different than any other Leviathan offspring 
Yes. And they look at it and they realize it's covered in weapons. And we've talked a lot about how Moya has no defensive, has no weaponry. There's no weaponry on Moya. And so, Leviathans don't, as a general rule, have any weapons. Yeah. And so the offspring comes out covered in weapons and then it gets stuck because of the weaponry. It's literally stuck in Moya, like in the birth canal. And Gianna goes out and she's trying to get the one weapon out because Pilot's like, it's primed. It's going to fire. It's going to destroy us. Because the baby's scared. Yeah. And then she's the one that kind of makes the decision that let it release a low-level blast. It'll tear away part of Moya, but at least then we'll all survive. And then the ship is born. And it's nice. I mean, it's a good... I I will admit, this one does have like a really... There's weird images from the first season that still stick out to me that like when I see them on screen again, I'm like, oh... Oh, oh. And there's this one where, like, Chiana and Rigel are, like, stuck in a container. And Rigel actually does that, like, hand thing from Titanic where it's, <laughs> it's like, like, the, the foggy hand. thing. Yeah. And, like, and actually that one kind of grossed me out a little bit because it's super clear that it's supposed to be, like, sexual. Like, he, I don't know. Like, well, he's hitting weird. on her earlier. So they're in the pressure container because the Moya's pressure has to be equalized with space. So they're in the, they're avoiding vacuum. And... Rigel is hitting on Chiana and like they're stuck together in this small space and his hands are doing things. And I find that, found that a little bit weird because we've had a note from Rigel before that he doesn't like body breeders. Like that's something he says and he doesn't want to see Zan's naked body earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know, I thought it was a little bit strange for Rigel and wondering if he was just trolling Chiana just because he could or if he was actually being a little harassing her about it well yeah because i mean it is i'm wondering if they just kind of stuck it in because they're like well we have to have something funny in this episode <laughs> but to be honest like i just didn't find it funny yeah and also like i don't think they had like intercourse no but at the same time i'm like it did feel a little bit rapey yeah to like he the was... implication like maybe he came on her or something right it felt kind of gross or at least you know was rubbing his male parts against her or something like that yeah but I will say what I do like from that storyline is that Chiana gets to be a little bit, bit of a badass and deliver the baby while Rigel mm-hmm. is kind of freaking out and useless. That's a, it's a good thing for Chiana to have. Well, because this has been three episodes in a row now where she's been super integral, super useful, and mm-hmm. just very competent. And that's, I think, my favorite character notes for Chiana. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so then they're all back on Moya and they're looking at they're looking at the progeny and covered in weapons and... While Moya is gold, the progeny is red and black. And if you've, okay, if you've seen this series before, I keep calling it the progeny because I'm trying really hard not to say its actual name because I don't want to spoil if you're watching for the first time. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the implication is that the peacekeepers are the ones who provided the DNA and altered the DNA to make it a weapons ship. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so that's, that's basically the episode. Yeah. Ratings. What'd you think? Oh, Five. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely a five. And the combination of Nerve and the Hidden Memory together is just stellar. Like, they are, there's not a wasted moment in either episode. Everything has its place. Even some of the slower character bits are really necessary, and the pacing is just spot on for the whole entire thing. It's just excellent. This It's just so excellent. And it also wraps up so many threads that Farscape has been weaving really well together. It it creates this like good solid arc for Aaron. It wraps up Jelena, who was this character that kind of went off into the neverwhere, and you know we thought we might never see again, and then we see her again. I don't know. Yep, so good. And then it opens up a whole new plot line with Scorpius and the wormholes. Mm-hmm. Get ready, cause that's what's coming. <laughs> yeah, next three seasons, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> um. 
So let's see. John Crichton, white shirt watch. What's um, he wearing when he's He's, he's still tortured? basically in Larocque's uniform, except he loses the jacket and gets the shirt at one point, or just gets stripped down to the shirt at one point. But okay. I, th I think he ends up escaping in the jacket, right? Or, yeah. if, or if not, he's in the black t-shirt. Those are his, his uh, wardrobe. As I said earlier, Aaron is super hot in the commando outfit, and then everyone else is wearing their normal stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, so next episode we are watching... Bone to be Wild. Bone to be Wild. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a break after After <laughs> this episode, you need a little break. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we will see you next week. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, we are Farscape Friday Podcast pretty much everywhere. Um, we've got an email or a Tumblr or a Dreamwith if you want to comment. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.